Well, we have had a big weekend here at North. Uh, Friday night was our, our men's event called Act Like Men. We had about 130, 140 guys here eating barbecue, throwing axes, um, all kinds of manly things. The testosterone was raging. It was really fun. Um, but our speaker that night was Pastor Steve Holt from the road at Chapel Hills Church in Colorado Springs. And uh, when we heard Steve and, and got him booked for our men's event, uh, we really wanted him to stay over and preach to you on Sunday morning as well. I know he challenged and ministered to our guys on Friday night. He did the same thing this morning in our 945 service. So I'm looking forward to what God will do through him here in the 1115 service. But would you welcome Pastor Steve Holt? Thank you, Brian. Man, I love this church. And uh, you guys are so great. You got a lot of tall people here. Um, so I don't allow anybody over five foot eight in my church in Colorado Springs. Uh, so I went to University of Georgia. I got saved at University of Georgia. I was an athlete at University of Georgia and got injured. And during the time of my injury, this cute little girl named Tallulah Parrish from Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, shared with me about Jesus. And I grew up as a Lutheran kid, and so I, my dad was a pastor. And I, I don't know how many of you are Lutheran, but I grew up in a very high church, liturgical, almost Catholic Lutheran church. And I had memorized the Augsburg Confection and the Lord's Prayer and the liturgy. And I, I think even now I could stand up in an in a ELCA Lutheran church uh, with a green hymnal. That's what they went from red to green and all that. And they blindfolded me. I can go through the whole liturgy, man. I know it. I so I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about church. I just didn't know Jesus. Kind of a small problem there, right? And so th this gal shared with me, and she was really cute. So I was interested in her. And then I was interested in the gospel. And one night at University of Georgia, I went into this little chapel across the street from my dorm. I was drunk. And I've been doing a lot of bad stuff that night. And I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't suddenly sprout angel wings. And Charlton Heston didn't walk in the room looking like Moses. But over time, God began to transform my life. And so when I come back to Atlanta, this is like my stomping grounds, you guys. So I went to Clarkston High School in Stone Mountain. And, um, and it's been a long time. And we've been gone a long time. So... The only, only thing I can say is that the only way to meet a UCLA girl when you went to University of Georgia is to go to China, right? So uh, I was smuggling Bibles in China, and I met this cute little co-ed, little tried-out gal who's smuggling Bibles too. And so we, uh, we met each other for the first time in Beijing. We uh, had our first date in Hong Kong. We fell in love in L.A., and we got married in Tokyo. And um, we have seven kids. And, I, and I, can you have seven kids and I'm not a Mormon or a Catholic, you know? And uh, so seven kids, and two of them were born in Japan. Uh, they have Made in Japan stamped on their bottoms. Um, but we have five grandchildren and 37 years with Liz. And, man, she is still, she's actually more beautiful now than she was back then. And that's, if you saw her, you'd agree with me, I'll tell you. So, you know, I, when I was walking around, and I've, I've built two churches, and so I know the amount of sacrifice and effort it took for this enlargement that you guys did on this facility. This is a very, very cool sanctuary. Let me tell you, it doesn't feel massive or anything. I think it holds 1,100. I mean, it's just, like, beautiful. And I know 
that Pastor Kirk's wife who passed, Laura, had a lot to do with it. And when I was walking through, I was saying, man, I like the way you guys did this, and I like the way you used brick and wood and all that. So they said, oh, that was, that was Laura's vision. She had the heart for that. And you know, you can't be a beautiful designer on the outside if you don't have a beautiful design on the inside. And so as Pastor Kirk is recuperating, as he is going to be grieving for actually a couple years probably, the loss of his beautiful wife while he's in Mississippi, I, I ask you, I challenge you as, a, as a, a senior pastor to a senior pastor's congregation, really, really remember him in prayer every day. And I know you do, but I just want to challenge you from an outsider that he needs that right now. And as a matter of fact, this event on Friday, and then we did another event on Saturday morning, and then I'm here today. Part of it, or a large part of it, was set up by Bradley, Pastor Kirk's son, and we ran out of my books. So we sold out of the books in the first service. Um, so is Bradley around? Where's Bradley? I want to give him the one last book we have. Is he in here? There he is, Bradley. This, this is to bless your family. Um, I, would, I would give it to your dad too, but he's not here. You are, and you work so hard on uh, the Friday night thing and all that we did. So this is for you, bro, and uh, God bless you. So. Appreciate you. Appreciate all you did. Um, so I was supposed to tell you from Pastor John that if you want the book, um, Worshipper Warrior, 21-Day Journey into the Dangerous Life of David, which I'm going to teach you on a little bit here, uh, you just go back to where the table is, it's still there, and get your name, and they'll order more. They'll, they'll order it for you, and they can do that. Um, so, like I said, I graduated from Georgia. Um, so I went to, went to Clarkston High School in Stone Mountain and then went on to Georgia as an athlete there. Um, and so even I, as a Georgia grad, I appreciate everything in Georgia, and I appreciate Georgia Tech. I mean, I do. And... Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, uh, there's some, some good friends of mine that, uh, that played on uh, the football team, the gymnastics team, the basketball team from high school at the same time I did, so we stayed in touch. And so I was, I was sad, and I'm sure you guys were sad too. Some of you might even be a graduate of Georgia Tech about six months ago when the library burned down. And um, that was just devastating. I don't know how they're going to recover from that. Um, whole thing, whole library burned down. And all five books were burned up. And three of them hadn't even been colored in yet. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, so 40 years ago, Jesus saved my soul. Eight years ago, David rescued my heart. And I shared on Friday night of a deep, dark time I went through. Some call it the dark night of the soul eight years ago. And during that time, I began to walk and walk and walk. And as I walked and sought God, God began to surround me with some men. And that's what I talked about on Friday night was bloodstained allies. I'm not going to talk about it here. But the thing that happened during that time is I began to study the word, you guys, and, and God led me to David, a man after God's own heart. There's no other man in the Bible that is described as a man after God's own heart. And I think why I could identify with David was he was saint and sinner. 
He was a notorious sinner. In a recent survey that was done a few years ago, they asked people, what do you know about David in the Bible? And first was Goliath, and second was Bathsheba. So he was a saint and a sinner, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. And the hallmark of David, church, was he was wholehearted. He was wholehearted. It seems as though if you compare Revelation chapter 3, God's perspective of those that are lukewarm with David who had a fiery heart, you could say God is nauseated by half-hearted people. And he is in love with and intimate with those who are wholehearted. And because of what I went through, and you just have to watch it because they, they did record it, but what I wanted is I wanted to be wholehearted again. I wanted to be on fire for the Lord afresh in my life. I needed to be refilled with a baptism of fire in my life during that time. And I fell in love with the life and times and the character in the direction of the heart of a man named David. And what it said to me, and the way God spoke to me, and I wrote about it in the book, is that God is not as interested in the perfection of our outward lives as he is with the direction of our inward heart. And so I want to talk about that this morning. In the time that we have, it's very brief, but I want to talk about a heart on fire for God. I want to talk about a man on fire, David, as a template for us today. Guys, he was a man. He was a flesh and blood man. He was a human being. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you can go two ways on the life of Christ. We know that he was fully human, but he was also fully divine. And sometimes there is that, there is that impasse that we have. Well, that's Jesus. But with David... Why is he in scripture? Why do the scriptures have more about David than any other character in the Bible? Because God is speaking to us in the 21st century that we need churches full of men like David. We need churches with women who have hearts like David. Because David is a man after God's own heart. And so what I'm going to attempt to do in the brief time that we have is talk about what I see are six qualities. There's 20 qualities, okay? But I'm, I've narrowed it down to six because we're in a church. We're in an evangelical church in America. You always have time. You know, you got to watch your time. But listen, listen, there's 25 things we could say, but there's six big ideas. There's six character qualities of a fiery heart that any of us can be a part of living in our lives if we'll stay focused. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? The hardest thing today is to stay focused. If I had my phone right now, I'd lift it up and you'd see all my little apps on there. All that gets me out of focus on a regular basis. And I'm always getting these notifications. You're 15 minutes longer today. <laughs> so I, 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 sometimes I just want to take the phone and do what Hillary Clinton did and just smash it, right? Okay. And so the reality is, is that we're, uh, there's all kinds of stuff coming our ways all the time. And God wants us to focus. Because here's the deal, men and women, if God gets your heart, he will eventually, not, not immediately, but eventually he'll get your actions. 
But if you don't give him your heart and all it is is about the outward, you're going to become religious. And when you become religious, you actually suffocate the work of the Spirit in your heart. So what God was doing in my life eight years ago is he was, he was plowing the furrows of my heart, the hardened places, and he was going deep into these places that I had hidden away from him that had to be restored through the power and the work and the love and the mercy of his Holy Spirit. David's like that. Because here's what I know. I love 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro across the whole earth, looking for, searching for men and women whose hearts are completely his. So we talk about seeking God. And we should talk about that. We talk about seeking the kingdom first, and we should talk about that. We're we're told to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we should pray like that. But have you thought about the fact that God is actually seeking too? And he's seeking across the globe. He's seeking across Atlanta. He's looking for hearts that are completely his, that he might strongly support them. And I don't care what your socioeconomics are. I don't know how educated you are. I don't care how talented or skillful you are. God doesn't care. What God cares about is a flaming heart. So I hope that I can challenge you this morning about having a flaming heart. If you're one of the people that brought your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 16. And what I'm going to attempt to do in the time we have together is kind of highlight a few aspects of David's life, and there's so much we could cover, and it really, it really warrants a series, but um, I like 1 Samuel 16 and 17 the most because this is our introduction to the life of David. This is his resume. You could say, chapter, you could write in your Bible at the top, resume of David is 1 Samuel 16 and 17. You know the story, um, and if you don't, I'll give you a brief kind of overview. There's this prophet, a national prophet in Israel named Samuel. And Samuel's been used by God to anoint the current king of Israel, Saul, with the Spirit. Saul's been a major disappointment from day one. He's disobedient, but he looks good. He looks really good. He's tall. He's handsome. He's the perfect first king, right? Um, The only problem is he doesn't have a heart after God. He's he's not a flame for God. He's got a heart after Saul. He digs himself. He's a classic narcissist, okay? So there's a point in in, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, where God comes to Samuel and he says, I'm done with Saul. I have identified someone who is a man after my own heart. That's the famous passage that we have. So then he says, go to Bethlehem and anoint this one. But he didn't tell him, he didn't tell him anything but that. And kind of the way God works, the way his spirit will work in your life too, is if you'll just obey the next thing. You guys know this? If you'll just obey the next thing, then God will tell you the next thing. But if you don't obey the next thing, you won't get to the next thing. And so he just obeys him. He goes to Bethlehem and then God speaks to him. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel 16, verse 10. Thus, Jesse, this is from Samuel saying, hey, God's led me to your house. 
This is, man, can you imagine like the prophet of the nation comes to your house and you're gonna, and he's, he's asking to find someone in the family to anoint and they miss one of them. They don't even bring, that shows you how ill-esteemed David was even in his own family. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all, these, are all your young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. So he must have been out there in a pasture. They could see him. He said, there he is. Didn't even invite him in. Samuel said to Jesse, well, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy with bright eyes, and he was good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now, this is the part I want you to underline. If you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, the spirit of the Lord came upon David right there. Here's the first mark of a heart on fire for God is David was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Men and women, you have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. You in this room, I don't care how good-looking you are or how talented you are, are not enough. Do you know what's happening out there? Do you know what's happening in our culture right now? We do not have at all what it takes, but God does, and he's looking for men and women who will be available to him so he can fill them with his Holy Spirit. David didn't have what it took. And so David goes, and he doesn't even know what's going on. He's 13 years old. We believe, by scholars and the scholarship that I've read, he was 13 years old. So we may have some 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds in this room, and I'm telling you, don't let anybody look down on your youth. God can fill you with his Holy Spirit at a young age and use you in a mighty way in your middle school. God can use you in your elementary school. God can use you in your high school if you're available to him. So David comes in. He gets anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes upon him, and he becomes a new man. There is, there's a fire that I believe was lit, a spark of a fire that was lit in his heart that day. Now imagine you got to walk with Jesus for three and a half years. You walk with Jesus, you see all the miracles, you see him walking on water, you see him calming the sea, you see him turning water into wine, you see him healing the sick, casting out demons, you see all that here, preach every sermon, you're always there, you're hanging out by the fireside with him, he's telling you the war stories and you are a part of it, isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that be great? And yet Jesus says, after he was resurrected, you guys aren't even ready to go and, and take the kingdom. You're not ready. Wait, tarry on me until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1. He says, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you won't do it right. You don't have what it takes. And they were like happy with that because they were already so fearful. They're hanging out in the upper room, afraid of the Jews and the Romans, and nobody wants to do anything anyway. He says, but listen, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and most parts of the earth. Now, they, do you think they know? They don't know what he's talking about, but in Acts chapter 2, they did. Just a few days later, the Spirit of God comes, and remember the description of it, it was unto like tongues of fire. 
And suddenly they're filled, they're changed, they're transformed. And folks, they rocked the world. Write down Acts 17.6. Write down Acts 17.6. Write down Acts 1.8, Acts 2.1, Acts 17.6. Because that's the progression of the way God always works. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. Acts 2.1, they got the power. Acts 17.6 in Thessalonica says, these people who have changed the world have come here also. They were fearful. Folks, the world needs to be fearful of a fired up church. We need a world when they say, when the Christian, oh, the Christians are coming. And then I'm going to tell you, man, they're going to hammer you. They hammer me all the time in Colorado. I'm on commercials in Colorado. I love it. Because I believe we're supposed to turn the world right side up. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has placed in every one of you in this room something that is in your heart, that's in nobody else's heart. It is in your heart. There's something that when you watch the news, there's something when your kids come home from school, there's something that when you're in a conversation, hello, something kind of goes, It's because God placed that in you. There's a sensitivity to stuff because God's done something in your life that he is calling you to make a difference out there with his spirit. And we're going to understand how that happened with David in just a moment. So are you anointed with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with power from the Holy Spirit? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He has residence in you, but does he possess you? Are you possessed by the Spirit? All right, so what do I mean by that? Well, Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So people come to the road all the time and say, are you Spirit-filled church? And I go, well, let's see. On Monday, we were, but on Tuesday, we were not. And on Wednesday, we were about half the staff was Spirit-filled and half the staff wasn't. They're like, what are you talking about? Because we think, the spirit, we have made the spirit-filled life in our charismatic churches and stuff a title rather than a function. Men and women, it's not a title. It's like, well, well, 10 years ago, this guy came up to me and he had silver hair and he had white shoes and he blew on me and I fell on the floor and, <laughs> you know, I, I've been spirit-filled. Now, I've gone through four divorces, but other than that, it's, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. The spirit-filled life is about who's in control now. It's not about an experience you had 10 years ago. Now, the experiences are great. I've got a few of them that I look back on as beautiful experiences, but experiences, I believe, are more like the dynamite that starts to fire that you have to keep letting God blow on. That's why Paul said to Timothy, you know, he, he, he talked about the fact you have got to restore the fire. You've got you've to restore the flame of God that I gave you when I laid hands on you. So, so are you, have you leaked any lately? 
Because I believe God wants to refill some of you today. He wants to refill you with the Spirit and let him have control. So the Spirit-filled life is about letting God have control over your finances, letting God have control over your thought life, having the Lord have control over that pornography addiction. God can do that. That's what the Spirit does. That's number one. That's the number one thing in David's life to get him started. It's the number one thing in our life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, and now things have changed a little bit because now the, the, the storyline switches back to Saul. Remember, this was written later, so nobody knows this is working this way chronologically, but Saul is demonized. He's, he's, he's demon-possessed, basically. I've cast out a lot of demons. Let me tell you, man, I've cast out demons all over the world, and I've never met a demon that I like. And um, one thing I'll tell you about demons is that they tend to wear the person down. They wear them down. And so, and so depression, despondency, despair that begins to lead toward suicide is always the goal of a demon. That's what's happening to Saul here. So the only thing they can think of is let's get him some good music. Let's get him to hear some good music, and maybe that'll calm him down. So verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player of the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand, and when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of his servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, this is what I would underline or highlight. Who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war. We'll come back to that. Prudent in speech. Underline that. Skillful, prudent in speech, handsome person. By the way, sometimes you can't do anything about that. I say this, let me just say this. When I, we have a lot of young people in our church. And I say to the men, if you're trying to find a good-looking woman at a bar, you've been watching way too many beer commercials. Because I can tell you right now, the bars I used to go to, they don't look like that commercial. Let me just tell you that right now. All right? If you want good-looking women and handsome men, come to church and meet them here. Because this is where it's at. All you young people, you're at the right place. Now, don't just come for that, but you can come for that. I mean, when I got saved, there was InterVarsity, there was Navigators, and there was Campus Crusade. And the good-looking girls were at Campus Crusade, and that's where I went. Okay, so. Um, second mark of a heart on fire for God is David was skillful at work and prudent in speech. Jot that down. It's really important. He was skillful in work, prudent in speech. Now, this is really important because have you been driving down the road, especially if you're going to church and you're headed to church, and this dude just comes along with his F-250 and he just kind of cuts you off and he's got a little fishy sticker on the back of his truck. <laughs> right? First of all, don't put fishy stickers on the back of your truck because it makes you look bad. 
No, but, but we need Christians. We need Jesus followers. We need wholehearted disciples that are good at what they do, that don't cut corners, don't lie and cheat, don't manipulate. They become the best at what they do. They put in the 10,000 hours. That's what they found to be true. To be a master of anything, you got to put in 10,000 hours. They put in the 10,000 hours because what they're doing is they worship God through their job. Folks, you worship God through your job. Worship's not just singing songs, as beautiful as that is. And I loved our time here, and the focus of the worship was incredible. Don't miss that. But the other, you know, uh, Five, six, seven days out of the week when we're at work, hundred and was was it's about an hour and a half here. So a hundred and sixty-six point five hours of the week we give to the Lord through our jobs, through what we do, through our marriage, through our stuff we do in our family and things like that. That's how we worship. So become skilled at it. And folks, prudent in speech. I think it's interesting. This was three thousand years ago. When, when this situation occurred 3,000 years ago, that what they looked for even back then was somebody who was skillful on a harp but prudent in speech. The word we use in, in the Hebrew is logos. Greek and Hebrew, this idea of logos, there's power in how you use your tongue. I can't say enough. I was just doing some research because I was doing this message that I better make sure I got this right, and I did get it right, and that is this, that they find in all the studies that someone who's a good communicator, a good and eloquent communicator gets jobs better, gets hired quicker, and gets promotions more because there's something about them that attracts them to others and everybody notices it. Folks, wouldn't it be awesome if Christians all across the globe were the best at everything that they did? That that fire that's in our heart would say, I'm worshiping God by being a doctor. I'm worshiping God by being a landscaper. I'm worshiping God by being a nurse. I'm worshiping God by being a mom. Be the best mom. I feel like my wife, Liz, was the best mom. I mean, she didn't do hardly anything in the church for years because she was pouring in to each one of our kids. And each one of our kids, they knew. They had, to, they had to think in terms of being good at something. We didn't care what it was. Whether Everybody had to do three years. How many, anybody here come from families where you had to play the piano? All right, let me just tell you, that's one of the best things you can make your kids do. Now, all these kids are gonna come out, that Pastor Steve was here, <laughs> But we did, the, we did the research, and they find that if you do three years of piano, how it, how it affects you intellectually is amazing with the hand-eye coordination and stuff. So everybody had to do three years of piano. Now, I have, I have one that went on to, with a piano scholarship to Denver University. He's now in law school. He would say he would attribute his abilities intellectually to piano. But I had another kid who the, who the uh, same piano teacher begged us to have him quit. He was our baseball player. <laughs> Horrible. He still comes and he always talks about how he won this some creative thing, this dumb ditty that he put together and he still plays it. 
But five out of seven of our kids are entrepreneurs. Five out of seven of our kids have started their own companies. Folks, here's the deal. If I can give any advice to your, this church here is that if you're seeing something in society, culture, job, whatever, that bothers you, I mean, really bothers you, I'm not talking about just in general, but there's something that really is, that might be that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you to actually make a change there. That God wants to use you. And people have come to me over the last two years with everything that's been happening in the school system and stuff, and they're complaining, and I say to them, run for school board. Run for school board. Every one of the people who run for school board out of our church have won, okay? And we have, we have changed the temperature of El Paso County. I'm in commercials in El Paso County, and they're not flattering. Though I will say this, that when I'm in the commercials, I always say, man, they could have picked a way better sermon than that to use for their commercial. So God wants us to be prudent in speech, to use the logos of God, to be someone that God can mightily use. Be good at what you do. Now listen, be winsome, not weird. We have some people at the road that are weird. I tell them, man, you're weird. And then they go to me and say, well, I'm not weird. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know. And I said, no, you're weird, man. And I said, so would you... Why don't you start hanging out more with some of us? Hang out with that guy over there. He's winsome. So somehow David's not weird. He's winsome. They see he's prudent in speech. Folks, that is important. It's really important. Well, this, the journey continues, verse 19. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a, a skin of wine, a young goat, sent him by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Verse 23, and underline this, it's really good. So it was. Whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp, he would play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and this is the part that's cool, the distressing spirit would depart from him. Third mark, David's a powerful worshiper. David is a powerful worshiper. Men and women, when we go into God in intimacy with him in the morning, I think the morning's the best time, but it could be in the evening whenever you do it, and you worship the Lord, you put up your laptop, you put on your iPad, you put on your uh, phone, whatever it is, and, and just take a couple songs and you start to worship God, you are driving back darkness. You are driving back demons when you worship. When we come in here together today, the road in Colorado Springs, churches all across the city where it's word and spirit, spirit and truth worship, you drive back demons. And that's why people who are heavily demonized have a hard time coming into worship because it distresses their spirit because demons control their heart. And so David came in, and can you imagine a 13-year-old kid that is so accomplished in worship, and I'm not talking about just the instrument, but I mean his heart is so impassioned by worshiping God that demons leave a king. 
That's pretty cool, guys. That's pretty amazing. This 13-year-old kid comes in, and he, he, yes, he's skillful in the heart, but what he actually has is an anointing from God through the Spirit of God by a heart after God that drives back the demonic in this guy's life. God can do that in your life. God can so use that in your life. We have 168 hours in a week, and I believe that God wants us all throughout the week to be worshiping him. Now, we worship him in the job. I just said that. But also to just take time, maybe first thing in the morning, before you jump out and get involved with everything, or you, or you look at you know all of your messages and all that, to just put on some great worship music, close your eyes, open God's word, read a chapter, and then worship the Lord. And I'm telling you, man, you will start to see depression break off. You will start to see despair break off. If statistics are true, at least 25% of the people in this room are struggling with some form of clinical depression. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of it's demonic. And as you begin to worship, it's therapy, man. You're not going to hear this from your doctor. You're going to hear it from your pastor here. That therapy is what will set your heart free. So then, that's David. That's who he is at this point. Now, we come into chapter 17. In chapter 17, you got this guy named Goliath from Gath, okay? He is probably actually not a Philistine. He's probably a mercenary for the Philistines. That's what history would tell us. The, the Philistines were the sea people. They probably came from Cyprus. They're coming. They're moving up, moving along the edge to come in and flank Saul and take over uh, Jerusalem and the middle, middle section of Israel. And so David is just, he's still just a sheep herder with all that's happened. He's a sheep herder. Everybody's out there in the battle. His brothers are out there getting ready to fight in the Valley of Elah. So Jesse, not even knowing, is being used by God to tell his son, his 13-year-old son, you go and would you take the supplies to Saul and his army and your brothers. So David comes in. He hears the, the bellicose calls and the screams and the prideful, arrogant, narcissistic boasts of Goliath. Here's what happens. We pick it up, chapter 17, verse 26. And then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner and that manner, saying, so shall be done for the man who kills him. Now, you guys, there's always, if you start to be courageous, there's always an Eliab. There's always an older brother. Now Eliab, verse 28, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Fourth mark, really important. This is where we stumble. David fears God more than he fears man. Men and women, that's what we struggle with. We fear man. We fear what people think about us. We fear what people think about our church. We fear about what people think about our, 
our marriage or our family. So what happens is we close up. We become closed up and guarded in our life, and the fear of God has no room to move in our life. So what's the fear of God? We could talk about fear of God till the cows come home. But the only way I can think of the fear of God, the best way I understand it, is to look at my relationship with my dad. So my dad is one of the most loving guys in the world, but I was a piece of work when I was growing up. And I, I, I nearly burned down our house once, and I nearly burned down, I nearly burned down. I, you guys, do they still do this? they give you magnifying glasses at school? Uh, back when I was a kid, man, they gave you magnifying glasses. And I figured out really quick that when you take out the funny papers, you take the comics and stuff, and you bring them out in the backyard, you can burn the faces off of those little comic strip characters with a magnifying glass if you get it right. And I started a blazing fire um, in our backyard. So the proverbial word that struck fear into my heart was, wait till your dad comes home. And, 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 li- and I, I, I swear, I think mom, mom's dead now, but I swear mom probably called him and said, come home late tonight. Because <laughs> she knew that for that three hours, four hours, six hours, torture chamber, man, because dad is coming. So the fear of God, listen to, listen to what I'm going to say here. The fear of God is on one side, the love of God. On the other boundary, it is the discipline of God that leads us to intimacy with God. So there's a discipline side to God, and there's a love side to God. And we love the love, right? We love to just do sermons about love. I mean, who can have a problem with love? But the fear of God is the intermingling of the two. It's an understanding that God also disciplines those whom he loves. That's the fear of God. David was fired up by the reputation of Jesus Christ. That's what got him upset. I mean, he's got his cheese and his crackers and his nachos, and he's sitting there and all that, and then he sees this guy, Goliath, and it's like, "Eh, whatever, I'm just a kid, you know, and he's doing his, maybe he's playing checkers with some of the guys. I don't know what he's doing. But when he hears what Goliath says and the blasphemy Coming out of his mouth, something in that little 13-year-old body got fired up because he fears God more than he fears man, and he does not care what Eliab has to say. He fears God, and he steps out. Verse 33. So now I'm skipping a lot because of time, but David says, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to fight. Gets to Saul. Saul says to David, verse 33, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard And I struck it, and I killed it. It's a 13-year-old kid, okay? Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Fifth mark, 
is less than you're going to be surprised by what I'm going to say. David had passed the interviews of God. David had passed the interviews of God. Now, why is that important? That's important because God's always doing interviews. God's interviewing your heart all the time. You're being interviewed. Young men, listen to me. When you're in that room by yourself and you've got your phone and there's no block on that phone and you know that you can look at pornography and nobody's going to know, you are being interviewed by God to see if you're ready for a promotion from God. And God can't promote people who haven't learned their lessons in their last job. So here's David. David did not have to take on a bear. David did not have to take on a lion. It would be understandable at that time to say to Jesse, his dad, yeah, dad, three, three lambs got, you know, it was a lion, man. It was a mountain lion. We have mountain lions in Colorado. So and I've, I've met a few. Um, and I don't mess with them, but, but I tell you, I'm ready. So, so when we've when we been, um, I've scared a few mountain lions out. I mean, I got a 357 Magnum and I pulled it out and said, come on, baby because I want one on my wall. I got other, and I said, one. Well, I don't have that one yet. But it wasn't in season, so anyway. But here's the deal. He had every excuse to not take on a mountain lion, to not take on a bear. Everybody would understand, right? God was interviewing him for the Valley of Elab. God, God was interviewing him to meet Goliath. And if he had not passed those interviews of God and passed those tests, God would have used somebody else. And folks, in our society right now, God is interviewing you for situations where he wants to promote you in the kingdom. He really does, but you got to pass the test. You got to go through the interview. You got to become a man or woman of integrity. And as you do, I'm telling you, it's exciting. God will open doors that are amazing in your life in your marriage, in your job. So you know the rest of the story. What happens? He convinces him. He gets ready. Go fight. And I love verse 45, so I'm just going to end it with verse 45. Then David, so David hasn't said anything, right? Now he's with the Philistine. He's on the battlefield. You know, this is what David said to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword with a spear, and with a javelin. I mean, man, he guy's nine feet, six inches tall, and he's got a sword, and he's got a spear. I mean, how do you carry all this stuff? But I come to you, and he never, he said, I come to you with a sling. No, he said, he's not dependent on his sling. He says, I come to you in the name in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Six mark. David is a warrior with the word of God. David is a warrior with the word of God. He is, he is saying back to Goliath scripture. He, he, he saturated himself in scripture. He knows he knows the Pentateuch. He knows the scriptures. He's writing the Psalms even as a kid. We believe that even in these days before he became king, he was writing Psalms. He's a songwriter. 
He's a songwriter. He knows the word and he stands on the word and he becomes a warrior from the word, church. You need to be a man and a woman of the word. You got to be in the word. Do you realize how many lies we're hearing right now? Everybody lies. Where where are we going to stand on truth if it's not God's word? And I love that, right? You guys are people of the word. I can tell by the way you prayed, by the way you prayed out, man. You were praying the word. You spoke the word. Um, I met, um, you know, half of the staff, I think. And you guys are people of the word. You're in the right church, folks. This is a word and spirit church. This is what David would write at some point in his life. We don't know when. But it's Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. You want to prosper in your life? Be a man and a woman of God who loves the word. Become one who memorizes it, one who eats it, who, who lets it come in and, and, and move through your spiritual bloodstream. And as God's spiritual bloodstream becomes your spiritual bloodstream, you become a courageous man or woman with a fiery heart. That's what David was. And even Jeremiah, when he was going through the hardest time in his life and he didn't know what to do with the the idolatry in Israel, and he said, I quit, I quit. Jeremiah quit a lot. I quit. And then here's what Jeremiah 29 says. He says, I quit. And then he says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not hold it back. Men and women, I want to challenge you here this morning. Will you let God refire your heart? Will you let the Spirit of God refire you and refill you because you leak? Will you allow that? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to be refilled from a, from a past filling and you've become lukewarm and you've become half-hearted when God's looking for men and women who are wholehearted? Let's stand. Paul said in his last will and testament to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into, the, into a flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So I don't know what happened, but there must have been a point where Paul laid hands on Timothy, the fire of God hit him, and then De- Timothy was getting weary. All of us get weary. All of us get tired, and all of us get half-hearted. Our challenge this morning is will you, because this is an interview of God from Steve. God's interviewing your, right, your heart right now. Will you take that step out, come up here, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the fire and the filling of God over your life. Would you come on up? If you want it, come on up.
If you don't, don't come up. Because God loves you. He's got such a plan for you. And I'm telling you, many of us in this room don't know what it is. We haven't experienced it yet. And God's going to begin to open doors in your life in the days ahead through what happens here today. And I have, I'm no predictor of the future. I'm definitely not a prophet. But I can tell you this, if the scriptures have anything to say to us, they say that when you have a fiery heart, that's who God's looking for. And when he finds it, he opens doors for your life. And there are closed doors in some of your lives, in your marriage, in some stuff that's going on in your finances, because you haven't been passing the test. And it's time to pass the test. It's time to come to him and say, God, I, I don't know what to do with my finances. Lord, I don't know what to do with my marriage. She's so weird. <laughs> By the way, when I, do, when I do weddings, sometimes I give out a passport. The culture of women and the culture of men, you need a passport. Let me just tell you, we're so different. God made us so different. Some of you have been giving all that you know to give with all your heart. I feel it in my spirit when I look out there. You are trying so hard. I want to tell you to quit trying. Quit trying so hard and surrender to Christ and let him work through your life because you are you're overdoing it man you're burning out you are burning out you need oil I might I had a I had a Toyota Tercel does anybody remember Toyota Tercel so I gave my Toyota Tercel to my dad when I went on the mission field and when I came back on furlough one year I said what happened to my Toyota Tercel he says oh it burned up I said what he took it to get the oil changed and they forgot to put the new oil in and so he drove out, the whole thing locked up, ruined the engine, history over, done. That's what happens with a lot of believers, is you're giving out and you're working hard and you're trying to do the right thing with all your heart and bless you, but yet you're doing it in your own strength and you need a fresh oil change and you need an oil change from the Spirit. So I'm gonna pray for you and any ministry team people, I think we got probably ministry team are gonna get prayer too. So, Father God, in the name and the blood of Jesus, would you just extend your hands out in a posture of surrender? I ask you, God, to refill these men and women with the power and the majesty and the love and the mercy of God. I'm asking you, Lord, to give them such a passion for the word that it would just light up a fire in their heart that would even shock them. They'd never felt that before, but you came and you did it because they cried out to you. And so, Father, meet them where they're at. Some of these people here are working so hard. They're doing, some, they're doing the best that they can, and you see that, and you appreciate that. But I think you're saying, drop it. Quit working so hard and start trusting me more deeply. And let me do it through you. That's the Spirit-filled life, folks. It's not an experience. It's letting me have control your life. So as you guys are up here, we'll have the worship team come and we're gonna worship together. Right now, we just lift up our hands to you, Jesus. Full surrender, full surrender. Just lift up your prayer to him today that you would fill our hearts, Jesus. We need a fresh spirit, a fresh power, a fresh anointing. 
I love this admonition to Joshua as he's going to take people into the promised land from the Lord. Moses had said a similar thing to him, and then Jesus speaks to him in Joshua 1. And the reason he says be strong and courageous has to be because Joshua wasn't strong and courageous. You don't tell your, your child who's always honest, would you please be honest? I mean, it's, it's usually the liar that you tell him to be honest, right? So I think this is a picture that Joshua's not strong and courageous. And some of you here don't feel strong and courageous. That's okay. Because you're gonna be strong and courageous in Christ. You are going to take down demonic strongholds in your life. You're no different than David. So God said to Joshua, and I say this now to Mount Perrin North here to all of you, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, listen, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Men and women, you are gonna prosper and you're gonna have good success. Go after God, don't stop, keep getting refired and watch what God's gonna do in your life. God bless you guys. Great to be with you. Hey, may it be true of me, may it be true of my house, may it be true of this faith family, that we be faithful to the Lord and wholehearted before Him, amen? Hey, would you thank Pastor Steve for bringing God's Word to us this morning? Thank you so much. If you've made a decision for Christ today or you want to know more about that or you're looking to take that next step in, in Christ and your relationship with Him, a few of us will be down here in the altar after service. Our grow team will want to talk to you. Uh, just give us two minutes. We'd love to just help you take that next step, whatever it may be, and then allow me the privilege to bless you as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to turn himself towards you, to be gracious unto you, and to grant you his peace in Jesus' name. Let's give a response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful day.